Scripture reading is in John 12, 12 through 19. Please stand for the word of God. The next day, the great crowd had come for the feast, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it. As it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At his first disciples did not under all at first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. I don't know about you, but I love a parade. I am a sucker for a good parade. Whether it is our 4th of July uh, parades here where we celebrate our nation's freedom either in Nevada City or Grass Valley, or the 2012 San Francisco Giants World Series Victory Parade. But sometimes there are people that are at a parade or aware of a parade, and they're not even really sure what's going on. I went with a good friend, Mike. I was in Santa Rosa at the time when the Giants won the World Series in 2012. It was the fall before we moved here. And I remember going with Mike to this parade, His wife uh, wasn't very aware of what was going on, and she happened to be going to San Francisco that day to to have a shopping day with the girls. Pretty soon, she's driving into San Francisco, and she starts calling us and saying, what's going on today? And Mike says, the Giants won the World Series. There's a victory parade for them. She says, you know, this seems like kind of a big deal. I thought this was just you and Pastor Mike going to like be with the team to celebrate their victory. The other Mike said, no, they're anticipating about two million people in San Francisco today for this parade. Sometimes there are parades and crowds are caught up, but they don't even know fully what's going on or what the meaning or significance might be. That is true of that day of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But my hope and prayer for us today and the foundational truth that we want to celebrate is this, that everyone, through learning about this event, can share that Jesus is the coming King by spreading the word that he has risen from the dead. Let me say that again. Everyone can share that Jesus is the coming King by spreading the word that he has risen from the dead. 
You see, the story of Jesus is fundamentally a story about his coming. It is the fact that he came once in, 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 uh, in the flesh among us and came into Jerusalem that day, but also that he comes and ultimately will come again. That's been John's gospel story all along. Recall that in John 1.14, it said, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus came from the Father to reveal what God is like to us. And it's key that we think about not just that he came, but the way that he came. For instance, some of us read in Philippians 2, 5 through 8 this past week, that, that Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient even to death on the cross. Jesus came, but he came to reveal who and what God is like. In summary, we could say Jesus comes to dwell among us in humility in order to reveal God's glory. This is either all captured in this event or pointed to through this event that we now celebrate as the triumphal entry of Jesus on what we now call Palm Sunday today. What Jesus points to is who he is as the king they were anticipating, but being a different kind of king or carrying out that calling in an altogether different way. Like a monarch processing to his coronation or a conqueror marching to victory, Jesus leaves Bethany behind where the previous events in the gospel have taken place and advances on Jerusalem. The other gospels tell us with what heaviness of spirit Jesus made that final journey up into the city over the Mount of Olives. At there, as he saw the city before him, we are told that he wept over the city's unbelief and coming decimation when Jerusalem would be destroyed in 70 AD. But foremost for John is the enthusiastic welcome of the Palm Sunday pilgrims. What led up to this? We are told that news and rumors had gone out about Jesus having raised Lazarus from the dead and that that is the center point of their response to him. The one who rose a man from the dead, brought him back to life, is now coming to Jerusalem and is on his way. We're told there's two crowds, both those who had been with Jesus in Bethany, had witnessed and seen him raising Lazarus from the dead, but also those who have come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. There's almost this sway, a swell, like two waves meeting together in the ocean, caught up in this event. Both those who have seen and witnessed Jesus' great deeds and those who anticipate the coming of a king. But in the midst of all that swell, Jesus comes in riding on a donkey's colt, an animal of peace. The crowds meet him and receive him like a conquering hero, but the act that will bring about the victory and what he will conquer is altogether different from what they would expect. To further set the scene, 
The Passover crowd was enormous by any standards as pilgrims gathered from all over Palestine and from every corner of the Mediterranean world. Josephus, the Jewish historian, gave an attendance figure for a Passover of over two and a half million people some 30 years later than this one. Recall that the Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles were the three compulsory festivals of the Jews. Three times a year, they were meant to go up to Jerusalem. And so to the Passover in Jerusalem came the ends of the world in anticipation of celebration of what God had done to save the Israelites in the Exodus out of Egypt, but also in anticipation of what God will do. To this day, when Jews in foreign lands observe the Passover, they say this year here, next year in Jerusalem, in anticipation of celebrating the Passover in the holy city. And so at such a time as this, in Jerusalem, in the villages around, would have been overcrowded with people with anticipation and excitement. On one occasion, a a census was taken of the lambs slain at the Passover feast, and the number was given as 256,000. There had been a minimum of, there would be a minimum of 10 people per lamb. And so if that estimate is correct, it means that there would have been some 2,700,000 people at the Passover feast, roughly the amount of people that attended the Giants World Series celebration in San Francisco in 2012. Even if that figure is exaggerated, it remains that the numbers would have been immense. There was a swelling of excitement and anticipation. The crowds consisted of pilgrims who, as we have been told in John eleven fifty five, 55, have come up in advance of the Passover to purify themselves and prepare themselves to, so they were fit to celebrate it. Some of them were Galileans who were excited at the ra- arrival of the Galilean prophet, Jesus. Others welcomed the opportunity to see the one who had so recently raised Lazarus from the dead. But John, in his description, is unique in his depiction of the triumphal entry in terms of his use of the title King of Israel. He's setting the stage for us and showing us how Jesus will come into his kingdom and ultimately would ascend the throne of a cross. And his crown would not be a crown of gold, but would be a crown of thorns. Jesus is the King of Israel, but he will come into his kingdom in a way they could hardly imagine note that Pilate would write Jesus is king of the Jews on his cross rightly stating who he is but again the way that Jesus would go about coming into his kingdom and fulfilling that title would be altogether different you see Jesus chooses the way of the cross rather than the way of violence he uses the way of humility and suffering instead of power Jesus on his last week in earth on earth, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey under a canopy of palm branches, hailing himself as their king to announce and affirm that he truly was the Messiah, but was going to be saving them in a way that was deeper and fuller and richer than they hardly could have anticipated. Jesus would fulfill the claim. He is the king of the Jews, but he is even more than that. He is the king of the world. So how did the people respond to his coming? 
We are told that they took palm branches and went out to meet him. On that day of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, the people are unaware of the intrigue among the powerful in Jerusalem. They're unaware of the fact that the religious leaders want to kill Jesus, and they're unaware of the way Jesus would ascend his throne. But they greet Jesus, yet as a king. Each of the Gospels tells of the entry into Jerusalem. John's narrative is actually briefer than the others. But palm branches were used for processions during the Feast of Tabernacles and were also used when Judas Maccabeus had, about a hundred years earlier, rededicated the temple after pushing the Romans out briefly. Palm fronds would be a sign of praise and celebration, which comes naturally out of the people's life. And palms would actually become another symbol for the people of Israel, much like the vine, when we talked about the Jesus and as the, brand, the vine and us being the branches. Palms would be a symbol of the people of Israel and what God wanted to accomplish among them. So people coming and waving palms would actually not be all that together unusual. In fact, when they would sing these songs of praise that we'll talk about here, they would have what was called lulabs, a bunch of willow and myrtle tied together with palm. And when they reached the crescendo of the song, they would wave their palms on an ordinary celebration of the Passover and the Feast of Tabernacles. But today, that day, it had unique meaning. When they shouted Hosanna, it literally meant, give salvation now. And this is a quotation from Psalm 118.25, part of what is known as the Hallel, a section of the Psalms, Psalms 113 to 118 in the Psalms, that were sung daily in the Feast of Tabernacles. So when Hosanna would reach its crescendo in the singing of these Psalms, every male worshiper would wave his lulabs, would wave his palms in adoration of God. But now, they do so as a way of welcoming the Messiah who has come into the city. Not only then was this crowd moving toward Jerusalem, there's others coming out of the city itself and the expectations as these two crowds join are at a culmination. But here's Jesus riding in on a donkey in an echo of Zechariah 9.9 making a point. Jesus is the true king, coming at last to set his people free. The hosannas are fitting. He had come to save them, but, and he had come as their rightful king to bring God's blessing, but it was a blessing beyond their understanding, beyond their imagining. The entry into Jerusalem was Jesus' announcement that he had come and was ready for action, but his action was to lay down his life for them to sacrifice his life so that he could save them for all time, not just for that day, not just for saving them out from under Roman rule, but saving them out from under sin and separation from God. The people greet Jesus rightly that day. Hosanna, we need saving. And so we would greet him the same today. We need saving, but we need a deeper salvation too. When the people say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they're not then only singing this song that they would typically sing in that season, but they're saying welcome to the Messiah, to the Savior of the world. There is an acknowledgement that they need salvation, but there's a lack of recognition from what they really need saving for and saving from. 
These Jews were hailing the arrival of their king, but, and these people were praising God for giving them a king, but they had the wrong idea about Jesus and how he would rule and how he would reign. They were sure that he would be a national leader who would restore their nation to their former glory, and so they were deaf to the words of the prophets and blind to Jesus' real mission. When it became apparent that Jesus was not going to fulfill their hopes of giving salvation now and then, we know that in the days ahead they turned on him. And the cries, Hosanna, would only days later be cries of crucify him, crucify him. If Hosanna represents give salvation now or give victory now, then we can often become just like the crowds that day crying out for salvation from our present challenges and circumstances. We long to see salvation in our day and in the ways we hope for. And it's not that those hopes are wrong. I mean, just think of this past week. We have cried out to God as a result of another act of mental health and gun-related violence in our schools. There have been 17 shootings in schools in our country just this year alone. Having heard word of a Presbyterian pastor's child being killed this past week, cut me to the core. We have a mental health crisis and we have a gun-related crisis in our country, and we need to cry out to Jesus for help. We are also tired of COVID, we're tired of the weather, (laughs) and it's canceling of events, and we want Jesus to save us from what we are presently facing We want salvation now in the circumstances and situations we are presently facing. And Jesus cares about those things. He cares about what's on your heart. He cares about what you need salvation from right now. But his coming is a different and a deeper work of salvation that he wants to accomplish. It is not just for the moment, but is in fact for eternity. While the crowd had their own clear ideas of what the king of Israel would do, Jesus, without repudiating the title which they gave him, repudiated the military and political ideas which they associated with his his actions. Their hopes were different from his. Faced with nationalistic politicization of the messianic title as he had been in Galilee, Jesus again takes corrective action. In Galilee, he had withdrawn to the hills and separated himself from the crowds who wanted to make him a political messiah. Here now, Jesus comes riding in on the colt of a donkey to show and symbolize that he was not like Judas Maccabeus, a military ruler who entered in the city on a war horse about 130 years before. Rather, Jesus is the king whom Zechariah prophesied, who comes gentle and riding on a donkey, who will take away the chariots of Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, who will break the battle bow, who will separate those sins of the people from God. He will proclaim peace to the nations, a peace between God and man that would then be accomplished on the cross. Riding in that day, Jesus had a mission But it was a mission of mercy and grace, a mission in which his kingdom and his presence as the king would be clearly announced, but then enacted in a way that would be different than they would expect. 
Many other writers compliment the Gospels in affirming this truth of who Jesus is and how he goes about entering into his kingdom. C.S. Lewis, for one, in the Chronicles of Narnia, would have Mr. and Mrs. Beaver speak to the Pevensey kids who wondered about who Aslan was by saying that he is the king of the beasts. He is a lion. He is the king, I tell you. And then we watch as the Chronicles of Narnia unfold and Aslan lays down his life to bring a traitor, Edmund, back into relationship with the king. In mere Christianity, Lewis would write, we live in enemy-occupied territory. That is what this world is. And Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us all to partake in a great campaign of sabotage, to live in resistance to the ways of this world, the ways of violence, the ways of aggression, and live lives of sacrificial service Instead, the people that day rejoiced that Jesus had come, but they didn't know why he had come. They only knew they had a need, and what they found was God seeking to meet that need at a greater level. What he does is fulfill the promises of the ages, though they had missed them. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king comes to you, triumphant, and riding on a colt, the foal of a donkey. There is no doubt that Jesus' claim was a claim to be the Messiah, but his salvation would be different than what they anticipated. Instead of shouting at the crowd and telling them they were getting it wrong, he simply enacted an acted parable while riding in on the donkey. And reflecting that his way would be a way of peace rather than violence. Jesus' sign is not that of a warrior figure, of somebody who would lead them into military prominence, but rather his sign and his act would be one of sacrificial service. His way of coming into his kingdom would be by an altogether different route. We cannot leave this passage, though, without noticing the sheer courage with which Jesus entered Jerusalem. I mean, just think about it. He has anticipated and consistently spoken of the fact that he's going to die on the cross in painful, excruciating agony. If I was coming towards Jerusalem and I was his, I would turn the other direction and run. I would go back to Galilee or I would flee to the hills. I would run away from what was ahead. But instead... Jesus walked with anticipation. I was proud of our group last night. We, uh, you as a church, made it possible for our eight-member mission team to go and serve in Mexico uh, this week. And last night, we prayed as we gathered at the church van. And there were some that said, you know, passing the board, doing these things, and, you know, had some concern about what was ahead for them on this week. But what I saw for them was joy. Joy and anticipation for how God was going to use them this week. My son's greatest concern seemed to be whether he was going to be able to get a churro on the streets or not. Rather than whether he was going to be safe or not. If they were in it for safety itself, that wouldn't be the right reason to go. But they were all in it for service. And were excited for what was ahead and how God was going to use them. In a greater and richer way, Jesus 
moves towards the cross, not away from it. And he invites people to celebrate what he is about to do, even though it would be passing through darkness before he would come into the fullness of the kingdom of light. What results from his coming? There is a call to therefore not be afraid. I love the words there. Fear not, daughter of Zion. Look, your king is coming upon the colt of a donkey. Fear not is mephobu in the Septuagint, the Greek version of this. It is a call to not fear. And if we know of what Jesus is doing, know of what coming was coming, and what will ultimately result, which we will celebrate next Sunday joyfully on Easter, friends, we have no reason to fear our present challenges and situations. We are told in Scripture that they are light and momentary compared to the surpassing greatness we will know one day in the glory of God's kingdom. But we also know that even as we need that call out of fear and into a place of faith and trust, that we are also people that need a growing understanding of what Jesus is doing here. The disciples did, and we still do today. We're told clearly in the passage, in a parenthetical note, that the disciples did not understand the situation at the time, but they later comprehended it. In fact, John's gospel is very clear that the passion of Jesus, his death, and ultimately his resurrection and glorification are the keys to understanding the mystery of Jesus' person and his mission. The disciples did not understand what was happening. They were simply caught up in the moment. Probably like the crowds, anticipating that that was the time Jesus was going to really show what kind of Messiah he was going to be. And what he did was show them something differently. Only later did they understand. Only later did they put the pieces of the puzzle together to understand who Jesus was and what he was about to do. And friends, we need to undergo that process. Some today here may have doubts and wondering why Jesus did what he did. Was he in control or were the crowds or religious leaders in control? Clearly, God was in control. He was fulfilling a centuries-old prophecy. I invite you to look it up on your own. Zechariah 9, 9 through 13. Look it up in its context and read it for yourself. Look at the words there. Like righteous, peace to the nations, blood of my covenant, and freedom for prisoners. And then see whether... That's what Jesus did and accomplished for you and for me. Often the reality is we only come to those realizations through retrospection, through looking back in an event and seeing it in light of the present reality. Some of us have had situations or circumstances in our lives that in the moment just did not make sense. Only later did God reveal his purposes for those situations in the past And where he helps us to see how he's using them in a redemptive way in the present. So similarly, the disciples did not recognize what Jesus was doing in the moment, but God would show them in the future. Sadly, we see a great contrast here. We see the adoration of the crowds that would be short-term and their commitment would be shallow in a few days. They would be nothing to stop Jesus' crucifixion. The devotion that day of Hosanna, blessed is he in the name of the Lord, again, would be drowned out a few days later with the cries, crucify him. But to the Pharisees' cry of dismay that day, that the world was going over to Jesus, what we can see is they were right. 
The world has gone over to Jesus and has ultimately recognized who he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He was not just the Jewish Messiah, he was the world's Messiah. And he had come to save. We need to recognize once again what kind of Savior we serve and seek to live similarly to take up actions that result in his coming. And you have done so today. You have come to worship. And we want to worship Jesus joyfully today. We want to sing Hosanna and praise him for who he is as our coming king. But we also need to seek growing understanding of what is written about him. To know that the prophecies of the past became fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And as a result, we can live in faith and live in hope. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to read through the Gospel of John. Some of us just finished it. Others will continue on in reading through the Bible, picking up in the Psalms, starting even yesterday, and continuing on through the summer. The Psalms sing of Jesus' praise and honor. They declare who he is and why he is worthy of our worship. But also, friends, we're invited, like the crowds that day, to spread the word that Jesus is risen from the dead. Easter Sunday is this next Sunday, and there are empty chairs here right now, and there are people out in the world who don't yet know what our Savior has done for us. Would you invite them to come? Would you invite them to experience the good news that Jesus comes, but that we still need to understand and meet with him and grow in relationship with him. And we still need that confidence that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit to announce that he is the king who has come, who comes today, and will come one day to set all things right. As we continue in our worship, let us praise him and thank him for who he is and what he's done. Amen. Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna in the highest.